we do want our eyes opened and our ears opened to see more of the Lord Jesus in the text of Scripture tonight. If you take your Bibles, please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 32. Isaiah chapter 32. The setting of, this, of these chapters, remember, we, I'm calling it the story of Jerusalem. And these chapters now, all the way until 35, chapter 35, give us details about Jerusalem and the situation going on in it during Isaiah's day, as well as what will happen to Jerusalem in the future. So just to refresh your memory, I know uh, many were here this morning, but, but remember that, let's pretend that this church right here is Jerusalem, and we're the citizens of Jerusalem. We've got a terrible problem. Right north of us is Assyria, King Skenekrib of Assyria. And you will see tonight in the text that they are coming to our city, and they are coming right to the walls. So we've got a dangerous enemy up north. Now the leadership of Jerusalem, with all of their human wisdom, they say, we are small. We need a bigger army. We need more horses and more chariots. We need more fighters. So rather than trusting the Lord, let's go down here to Egypt, and we're going to ask Egypt in the south to help us. And so they formed a peace or a covenant that Egypt would fight with Judah against Assyria. Now, Isaiah is totally against this. Isaiah does not want this covenant to be made. He tells the people, trust the Lord alone. Remember from the morning text? God had already promised he would fight for Jerusalem. He had already made that promise. As a lion fights against a multitude of shepherds, and as a mother bird protects her chicks underneath her, so the Lord is going to protect Jerusalem. All you have to do is wait on him. You have to trust him. Do not go to Egypt. Well, they had already gone to Egypt. God also said, I will destroy Assyria. Do not worry. I will destroy them. All the people had to do was have faith. They had to trust. Faith is not having seen. They believe. And so this is a life-or-death issue for them. We are going to see in the text tonight, you can almost hear it in the scripture, of the enemy coming down and destroying city after city, the terror, the fear, knowing that at any time the enemy is going to be in our city. It's very, very, the reading of the text is so, so thrilling, but yet they did not trust the Lord. So the whole key to this is to trust the Lord is to wait upon him, to believe him. And this is where our hope and our comfort comes in. So we're looking at Isaiah chapter 32. We only got to verse 2 today in the text, but we are going to make our way through this, this text. Isaiah now is giving us a picture of Jerusalem in a future day. Okay, we're going to get back to the current day with Assyria and Egypt in just a moment. But in the text, Isaiah wants to shift the focus from present-day Jerusalem to the future day of glory, when Jesus will reign. Chapter 32, verse 1, Behold, a king will reign in righteousness. This king is Jesus the Messiah. He will be on this earth on a literal throne in literal Jerusalem, ruling and reigning, but it will be righteous. It's a righteous government. Every decision he makes is going to be right on. Never will he have to go back. Never will have to apologize and say, whoops, we made, a, we made a slip in the economy, we made a wrong judgment, it'll never happen. It is perfect righteousness in this kingdom. But not only is he ruling in righteousness, his princes will rule in, righteous, in righteousness with justice. Who are the princes? I mentioned just in passing this morning, I believe they are the 12 apostles of the church and the church-age saints who will rule and reign with Christ. In the millennial kingdom, the Lord is going to give responsibilities. Who knows how? Maybe he'll say, Habermans, I want you to sit under the apostle Peter, and then Peter's going to delegate your responsibilities. And then Ed and Tracy are going to show up in the kingdom, and 
Peter's going to say, all right, I want you to go over here and do this and that and watch over and encourage and maybe even have study of the scriptures. Who knows what we're going to be doing? But we're going to have responsibilities of ruling and reigning with righteousness and with good justice, with right, with right decisions in the kingdom of Jesus. But remember verse 2. A man will be as a hiding place from the wind and a cover from the tempest, as rivers of water in a dry place, as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. These are all pictures of a man. Because we know Jesus is deity, Isaiah 9, 6, the, the, the son will be given, a child will be born, a son will be given, who is the counseling wonder, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, full deity. We know from Isaiah 11 that the Messiah is fully endowed with the Holy Spirit. He will have the fullness of the Holy Spirit in his life. But here in Isaiah 32, we know that the Messiah King is fully a man. Somebody who can identify with our, with our humanity fully, yet without sin. And what is he going to be for us in that day? He's going to be to Israel in that day, a hiding place from the wind, a cover from the tempest, rivers of water in a dry place, and the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. He's going to be a place of protection, rest, of comfort. Listen, I, don't, I have no idea what, what Bill Knight is going through with, with all that he has going on physically with the dialysis and that process that just weakens his body and then strengthens his body and then, and, and then to fall. But I, I have no idea what that is like physically to be in such, such um, pain. But the Lord Jesus has promised he's our hiding place. He's a place where we go for refuge, for strength, for, um, for help in the midst of a weary and a dry land, just like he says here. The same Savior is going to do that for all of his people in the millennial kingdom. Verse 3, not only is the Lord a refuge and a strength and a help in the time of need, but everything is going to be made right socially. Now, let me t- take you back to Isaiah. I'll just tell you about it. Remember Isaiah 29? where God said, because my people have rejected me, I'm going to put them in a coma. I'm going to put them in a spiritual coma. They will be blind. They will not be able to see. They will be be illiterate. And although they have the word of God, they will not be able to read it. Now, in the new kingdom, in the millennial kingdom, God is going to undo the blindness and the deafness. Look at verse 3. The eyes of those who see will not be dim. I don't think physically. I think the whole idea of the context is spiritually. People that were spiritually blind no longer will have that dimness. Their perception of truth will be right on. They will see truth and they will know truth. But not only the perception of truth, look at the reception of truth. The ears of those who hear will listen. I think spiritually people will be in tune with the truth. They'll perceive it correctly. They will receive it wonderfully, all the people of the kingdom. But then he goes on in verse 4, also the heart of the rash will understand knowledge. They will be able to grasp truth. So they won't only just perceive truth. They're not just going to receive the truth. They will be able to grasp it and understand it with their mind. Even the rash person who acts out of control will now be able to take the word of God and have control. Then the final person, the tongue of the stammering, the stammerers will be ready to speak plainly. They will be able to communicate the truth. So when Jesus comes back and he makes everything right and new, he's going to heal the hurting. He's going to be a cover in the midst of the tempest. He's going to be a hiding place in the hot sun. He will protect us in the, in the elements. But he also will bring about the truth spread all over the world. People will believe, they'll receive, they'll communicate, they will grasp the truth fully. Wouldn't it be great if our country could grasp the truth of God's word? They could not only communicate the gospel, but they could grasp it. They could be able to listen to it, and they could perceive it. 
what a nation we would have. But we're living in blindness and, and deafness with, towards God word, God's word. Look at the change in the society. Verse 5. The foolish person will no longer be called generous, nor the miser will be said to be bountiful. For the foolish person will speak foolishness, and his heart will work iniquity to practice ungodliness, to utter error against the Lord. They will keep the hungry unsatisfied, and he will cause the drink of the thirsty to, to, uh, to fail. Also, the schemes of the schemer are evil. He devises wicked plans to destroy the poor with lying words, even when the needy speaks justice. But a noble man, a generous man, a noble man devises generous things, and by generosity he shall stand. Hey, we're introduced to three people in, the, in this kingdom of the, of the Lord's. The first person, it says here, is, the, is the, um, the foolish person. The foolish person is foolish because of what he lacks. The foolish person lacks moral sensitivity, spiritual sensitivity. They would say in their heart, there is no God. That's the foolish man. So the foolish person in the kingdom will be identified as a fool and not elevated. What happens in the world today with a foolish person? The person who says there is no God and lives that way. They are elevated in our culture. The people that are most famous and the most rich are those who are most foolish, those who are rejectors of God, not in the future kingdom. Jesus said the foolish person, uh, the foolish person is going to be known as a fool and he will not be given responsibility in the kingdom. The Lord will deal with him. Um, you know what the schemer is? The schemer is known not for what he lacks, like moral sensitivity, but the schemer is known for what he has. He has the idea of self-promotion at any cost. Grasping and devising for his own gain. And he will be known by that, and he will not be elevated. He will not be known in the kingdom. Jesus is going to make it really clear. You get in line with my truth, or you're out. And he will keep sin for a thousand years at bay. It's not gone completely in the kingdom, but it's at bay. It's held back because the Lord will rule with a rod of iron. But there's such a short statement about verse 8. The nobleman... He will devise noble things, generous things. The Hebrew word for noble, it means, it means one who is abounding and outgoing towards God. The, the generous man, the noble man, is one who is outgoing to serve God and man with his whole heart. So it is the idea of generous, but it's noble. It's honorable because his heart is fully toward the Savior and fully toward his, his fellow people that he can serve. That's noble. That's noble. That's nobility. And that will be sought high in the kingdom. So do you see this future kingdom of righteousness? So even though the enemy is coming, look for better days. Let's keep going. Verse 9. Isaiah now turns his attention, God turns his attention with Isaiah to the women of the city. Remember back in chapter 3, there was a short excerpt on the women of Judah? We're back to that. Why? Why the women? Well, I think because Isaiah has already addressed the men over and over and over. But the attitude of the women reflected the attitude of all of the society. See, the women were not concerned. They thought, I think the women of Jerusalem, honestly, they thought, hey, our husbands are making good decisions. Egypt is the best choice. We don't want to trust God. We want help. We want Egypt to help us. And so Isaiah, God is going to address the women of of Jerusalem, and he's going to say, wow, You chose wrong. But he identifies the women as complacent. Look at verse 9. Rise up, you women who are at ease. Hear my voice, you complacent daughters. Give ear to my speech. 
In a year and some days, you will be troubled, you complacent women. So I think this prophecy, this message is given about a year before Sennacherib actually comes to Jerusalem. But he identifies the women as complacent and at ease over and over. Look at verse 11. Tremble, you women who are at ease. Be troubled, you complacent ones. Why are the women at ease? They're not worried about the future. They think Egypt will be there to help. So their trust is in something totally wrong, and, but they're at ease. They're not seeking after God. They're not looking for the Lord. They are complacent. They are just content as long as nothing is hurting them today. So this whole issue of complacency or just being at ease, uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. Let's look and see what the prophecy for these women is. Verse 12, People shall mourn upon their breasts for the pleasant fields, for the fruitful vine... See, the pleasant field and the fruitful vine, they'll all be destroyed when, when the Assyrian soldiers come across the, the, the land. On the land of my people will come up thorns and briars, yes, on all the happy homes in the joyous city. So even though the women are happy right now, they're complacent and they're at ease, they don't realize how bad the future is going to get for them. Verse 14, because the palaces will be forsaken, the bustling city will be deserted, the forts and the towers will become lairs forever, a joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks. So if wild animals are living in the towers and the palaces, obviously people are not. The land is going to be deserted. So the women are having fun. They're shopping, they're cooking, they're eating, they're throwing parties, and they're thinking, hey, tomorrow's going to be just as great as today. Not realizing because they've turned from the Lord, judgment is coming. And within a year, they're going to be weeping and, and beating themselves in, in, mournful, in a mournful state because the land is destroyed and the people are destroyed. So, as I was thinking about this, I thought about our own country. We are in for some serious trouble in our country for the very same reasons of complacency and, and ease. We won't go there, but um, let me tell you about Ezekiel chapter 16. I'll tell you about it. In Ezekiel chapter 16, it's all about the prophecy against Jerusalem by another prophet. Not Isaiah, but Ezekiel. And what Ezekiel says is, Jerusalem, God loves you so much. He loves you so, so, so very much. But you have turned from him, and you have actually committed adultery and fornication with other gods. So therefore, the Lord is going to destroy you. But then Ezekiel says something very strange. He says, Jerusalem, you are just like your sister Sodom. Well, who's Sodom? Sodom and Gomorrah, right? That place of wicked, um, sinful behavior, of homosexuality and all sorts of things. But you know what? Even though Sodom is known for its homosexuality, that is not what Ezekiel 16 picks out about, about um, Sodom's problems. I'll just make sure that I give you exactly the way the scripture reads it. Listen to this. Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter, Gomorrah, had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. So before they even got to their abominations that they were living out in the flesh, they had three things. They had pride, they had fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. They had all the food they could eat, they had all the time on their hands for luxury, so they did not need the Lord. And because of that, Sodom was destroyed. Jerusalem had the same problem. They were complacent. They were at ease. They thought they had everything. They didn't think they needed anything, so why turn to the Lord? We've got Egypt. Now we've got a big army. We can beat these guys. So complacency and ease, what a terrible sin. 
But then I was thinking, wait a minute, could our church ever fall into that? Could our church ever fall into complacency and ease? And I think it's easy to do that. Do you know why? In the book of, turn your, take your Bibles, go with me to Revelation 3. Revelation chapter 3. If these seven churches of Revelation picture the church age or the progression of the church age, which I think it's very likely it could, then Revelation 3, the Laodicean church, is our church age in 2015. Revelation 3, verse 14. This is to us, the church. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, he's absolute truth, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Here's what Jesus says about the Laodiceans. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Let me tell you how this works. In the valley there in Turkey, there's three cities. There's the city of Colossae, the city of Laodicea, and the city of Aeropolis. All right, so can you picture three cities and Laodicea is here. Coming from Colossae, and I've been at Colossae, and I've seen the cold streams of water coming from the mountain. Colossae is at the base of a mountain range, and the cold water flows out of Colossae, and it is refreshing. You could drink gallons and gallons, and you feel full of life. The water comes that is ice cold from the mountains, and it comes across the valley. And what happens as it comes across the valley? And there are actual, you can even see channels that were dug to transfer the water. What happens to the ice cold water by the time it gets to Laodicea? It has become lukewarm and nobody wants to drink it. But then you go over here to Aeropolis, and Aeropolis, when I was driving into the valley there in Turkey, it looks like Spirit Mountain on a snowy day because the whole mountainside is white. And I thought, snow? How could, how could that be snow-capped still? It's impossible. We got to Pumakali. Today it's called Pumakali, but it's Aeropolis in the Bible. Uh, it's written in the book of Colossians chapter 4. And I went there, and it is, it is um, sulfur deposits from hot springs. And you go there, and you sit in the hot springs, and it's medicinal. It heals skin rashes and all sorts of things. And, there, and I actually walked along a channel that was from the Roman period where the hot waters of Aeropolis flowed to what city? Laodicea. But the hot water that was, re- that was medicinal, by the time I got to La- uh, Laodicea, what happened to it? Turned lukewarm, and it was good for nothing. So I, this, is what he's, this is what Jesus is saying. Oh, I wish you were hot so you had a medicinal ministry, a healing ministry in other people's lives, that you were effective in the Holy Spirit to be able to encourage and to strengthen and to come alongside one another. I wish you were cold and refreshing with the gospel message like the water of Colossae. But because you are neither, you're lukewarm, you're good for nothing. So the, the kind of water that flows into the city is the kind of spiritual state you are. You're, just lukewarm, you're lukewarm, and I will vomit you out of my mouth. So then verse 17, because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are really wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You see, the, the church, they thought we have it all together. We don't, we've got bank accounts, we've got nice padded pews, we've got instruments, we've got lights. We've got, we, got, we could just go on and on and on and on and never even realize the Holy Spirit's not involved. This is, this is true. I always think of Samson and Delilah. Remember Samson with the whole hair thing? 
he, he lied about how, where his strength came from, and they bound him with different ropes and things like that, and he could always break free. The saddest part of that story is when Samson's hair was cut by Delilah. And it says, Samson did not know that the Spirit of the Lord left him. He was so desensitized, he didn't even know the Spirit of God left his life. And he was powerless before the enemy. And I think, is it possible to go through the routines of church and play church and do church and just be at complacency at ease? I mean, everything is going along. Really, no worries. Wow. Let's not ever go there. Never. I'll tell you what. Like, even what Mr. Knight is going through, that should cause us to pray, to just pray and pray. Um, thinking about the trials like the Bainey family, Dana, with the, the third stage of adrenal failure, um, she's gone now for about 11 days or so, um, being treated by specialists for this, for this disease. I mean, this should cause us not to trust anything but the Lord and call upon the Lord and call upon the Lord. The, the Lord would be just grieved if our church grew into complacency at ease. So what's the counsel? Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. I don't think this is the gold of salvation, I think it's the gold of, well, because they're already saved. It's the gold of service. I counsel you to buy, because you know when you buy something, it costs you something. You want to be a disciple of Jesus? It costs you something. You want to have gold service for the Lord? It's going to cost you time, energy, possessions. You want to serve the Lord? It's going to take all of that. You have to be in the word. You have to be in fellowship. You have to be in service. You have to be doing something for others. That's gold refined in service, in the fire, that you may be rich. And white garments. Where do the white garments come in? Um, White garments, Revelation 19, those are the righteous acts of the saints. It's, again, serving others, putting others before yourself. And then he goes on, um, and, and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. I think that whole idea is the eye is like a single gate. And if you want your eyes healed, have a single focus. Have a single desire. Get healing in your eyes so you're only looking at one thing, Jesus. I think that's the idea. And then verse 19, As many as I love, the Lord will rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Be zealous. Be boiling over with fervency for Jesus. So let's do that. Let's not be like the women of Jerusalem who, although the enemy was coming, they were trusting the wrong uh, the, the wrong, uh, the wrong object, Egypt, and they were, at, they were at ease. They were complacent. They weren't seek, seeking the Lord or looking for him. Let's go back to Isaiah, and we'll wrap up this chapter. Verse 16. I'm sorry, verse 15. Here's where it turns. Isaiah says, Jerusalem, it's going to be tough. Your fields are going to be burned. You're going to suffer greatly until, verse 15 happens, until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high. The Holy Spirit, and Joel prophesies prophesies of this. Peter brings it up in the first sermon of the church that there'll be a day when the Holy Spirit is poured upon Israel and the whole land and the people are transformed. Then everything is right. So we're waiting for that day. Right now we're in the in-between time. There's suffering, there's disease, there's hardship, there's loneliness, there's aches, there's pains. Jerusalem is suffering, um, Israel is suffering, we're suffering. We're just in this time frame. But there is a day coming when the Holy Spirit will be poured upon them from high, and the wilderness will become a fruitful field. There'll be regeneration of the land, 
and the fruitful field will be counted as a forest. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness and righteousness will remain in the fruitful field. So not only will the land be healed, but the people